0: Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed, with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs.
1: Hi, welcome to Unsheathed number 19. We're uh, getting on up there towards the big 2-0. And uh, I am Kyle Gold.
2: And I am mildly congested, Cam Hirosaki. I apologize in advance if I sound a bit stuffy, and if I end up sneezing throughout the recording, but I'm just coming off the tail end of a cold, but I'm mostly okay.
1: We have him isolated in a germ-proof glass cubicle so that he won't infect the rest of the studio.
2: Yes, and to further my disinfectant qualities, I have alcohol to make sure that the germs stay dead.
1: We've been provided with very high-quality disinfectant by our local alcohol-providing wolf.
2: Yes, it's some kind of lambic brandy... I don't, I'm not 100% sure what it is, but it smells wonderful.
1: Um, and we'll actually be hearing from our wolf on this episode a little bit later.
2: Oh, and it tastes wonderful too. This is delicious.
1: Uh, I saved the
2: first sip for live on air. This is really good.
1: Excellent. It's designed to make you forget all about your cold.
2: It's working already.
1: (laughs) Um, Kit and I are just back from a lovely Thanksgiving up in the, uh, Great White North, where we hung out with the Sofa Wolf foxes, and I signed a bunch of books that you people ordered, which was very kind of y'all. Um, before that, we did our live show at the Fall Furry Meet, and separately and completely distinct from that, we attended Midwest Fur Fest, at which we read previews of our stories, uh, which was a very fun time. Yeah, and
2: I... Uh... I think I was glad that I was able to make it back to the second and final year at uh, Wheeling.
1: Yes, and we were glad to have you there too. Um, I don't know, how was your Thanksgiving?
2: My Thanksgiving was actually really, really good. I, it was full of food, wine, and people, which is, I mean, really, what do you need for a good time other than those three things?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, anything else?
2: Um, Just that I'm sort of still getting the beginning part of the coming year sorted out, uh, scheduling-wise and planning-wise, but it's looking like uh, it should be okay. I mentioned two weeks ago that uh, there might be an issue with scheduling for Furry Fiesta. That scheduling issue has gone away. Oh, awesome. Yes, because uh the thing that I was going to be responsible for I decided to uh make somebody else responsible for it instead, so now it's their problem and not mine.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Uh the benefits of having a little bit of seniority and power at your job. There you go. Uh, and we we've gotten word the past week that we will be able to do a podcast at further confusion. So we're very excited about that. We're gonna announce that a little more formally, like on the Live Journal or on the FA account a little bit later this week um, they would like us to we need to discuss with them whether we're going to try to keep the podcast to PG-13 or not um, I'm not clear on, really on whether they wanted it kept PG-13 or whether they said just let us know if, if it's not so that we can post someone at the door and keep out the youngins but we
2: can talk about androgynous robot foxes dry humping someone
1: yes Or we can use uh, all kinds of euphemisms maybe it'll just be a show on euphemisms and <laughs> Then it'll be all PG thirteen.
2: There will be cake and cake
1: <laughs> and cake. <laughs> um. And it is the today as we're recording. Although it'll be December by the time we release it, it is today the thirtieth of November. And I know I heard from at least Fox Cutter that he wrapped up his Nano novel. Yeah, I congratulations saw that. to
2: him. Yeah, congratulations to him.
1: And uh, we were kind of looking to hear from the other people who wrote us in. I know Kaz was going to give it a shot. Uh, Condrill mentioned he was going to give it a shot. Uh, I'm trying to find the other names here Atari. that wrote in. Atari. Shakal um, uh, Draconis was going to try to write some short stories over the month. And uh, who else? Gerilyn. Gerilyn the raccoon was also.
2: Gerilyn the fabulous pantsless raccoon.
1: Yes. Whom you all know now from episode 18.
2: Everyone gets their 50 minutes of fame. That was his.
1: Yes. Perhaps he should have chosen a little more wisely. But um, so if uh, if any of you all out there finished your nanorama novel or didn't finish it and want to write in and let us know how it went, um, drop us a line, unsheathpodcast at gmail.com, and we will read it on the next show or at least the next regular show we do. Um, we were going to talk about the holidays. But we haven't gotten really a lot of email about it, and we figure we can put that off for another couple of weeks. So, today what we're going to talk about is something that people have been writing to us about since, um, well, early September it looks like. Uh, which is about sort of the life of a writer. Not just how it affects us, but how it affects the people that we live with and interact with. So... I think um, Hirosaki-san and I are just going to ramble on a little bit about our own lives and then we have a couple questions for uh, the esteemed Kit Silver and he will actually answer them on the podcast.
2: Dun-dun-dun. <laughs> we keep you in suspense. For now you have to continue to listen to us like normal.
1: Yeah, sorry about that. If you want to fast forward about 10 or 15 minutes, you can get to Kit's part. But um, So let me start with you. Okay. How does um how does being a writer affect your everyday life and how do you change what you do in your everyday life to accommodate your writing?
2: Well it's funny. I think the biggest thing is that the concept of free time takes on a completely new meaning when you're a writer. If there's a day or an evening where you find yourself not having plans, more often than not, instead of thinking, Hey, I have a you know a chance to relax and unwind, I'll find myself thinking I should probably use this time to write, and I'll sort of guilt myself into being productive.
1: Yeah, I know that feeling. But I've kind of of always been that way, even before I was trying to do all these writing projects, which I don't remember if I mentioned to you, but I wrote out a list of all the writing projects that I know I'm responsible for in the next year or so, and it's kind of an intimidating list. I'm not quite sure how I got signed up for all this.
2: I don't know how you got signed up for it, and I don't know how you do it all at once. <laughs> As I've said before, I I am amazed at your ability to handle more than one project at a time. Me being on two projects at once overwhelms me.
1: Well, like I said, I was always kind of like this, and I remember, you know, back in school, free time was always just. I, if I if I wasn't doing something productive, then I felt like I was wasting my time and. I went through a period where I'd play video games, but it always I always just felt like i I should be doing something different.
2: You know it's funny that you should say that because uh when it comes to the current console generation when I play video games, so the xbox three sixty tracks your achievements and stuff like the Wii doesn't. And so I found myself going, well, if I'm going to be playing video games for a few hours, if I play play something on the Wii, I don't have any proof to show to other people. (laughs) And so that's sort of, but like, it's productive, quote unquote, if I can at least get like this imaginary number of, hey, look, I accomplished something, I can prove it to the rest of you.
1: Well, and I will say that the one exception, apart from Rock Band, which, you know, you just have the achievement of singing songs, um, and we did a tour, but. You know, I found with the Beatles one, we don't do the tour as much, we just want to sing the songs, but um, apart from Rock Band, the only video game I've picked up in the last couple of years I just bought recently, which was Braid, uh, and that was recommended to me by a couple people as having a really good story and real interest in narrative and interesting gameplay, and is also being kind of short. So I was able to sort of grab that, spend maybe an hour playing it, and then go off to do something else.
2: Yeah, I think it sort of comes out to a matter of time commitments, and sort of as I meant it sort of fits in with what I said about how you gauge free time and just sort of knowing how much time you're going to need to put into something. I find that most of the video game playing I do takes place between the hours of 11 p.m. and 2 to 3 a.m. because I already know that I am not in any mental state to write, but I'm not ready to go to sleep yet, so I feel justified not writing at that point with the fact that I'm not going to be writing good stuff anyway.
1: See, it's kind of funny because I, I know I have those periods too where I know I'm not going to really write anything productive, but I always at least try to sit down and force out a paragraph or two on a story just because that keeps me thinking about it. And I know I know that I'm not going to write anything that I'm going to want to keep, but at the same time I can't tell you how many times I've been working on a part of a story and it's been late and I'm tired and I know I haven't gotten any sleep I'm not going to write anything productive but then get a good night's sleep wake up in the morning and suddenly as soon as I start thinking about the story I know exactly what I need to do and I just gain all that momentum because I've had it in my mind you sleep on it you wake up and suddenly you're kind of looking at it from a new angle Um, so Even when I have that time when I know I'm not going to write anything useful, um, I still try to sit in front of the stories and force them out.
2: My mental rumination time, I think, comes a lot during my commutes. I think I've mentioned on the show before that I have a very long commute. Yeah, you do. I have a lot of alone time to just sort of be just with my thoughts, and I do a lot of my story planning in, in that time. And then... Uh, luckily, that's that gives me a good warm up because you know whenever I go out writing with you, I have that good hour lead up of just sort of driving by myself, and I get to take that time of okay, what am I going to write tonight?
1: Yeah, and I, and that's another part of being a writer. I think that really it just it starts to pervade every aspect of your life, and that's why I yeah it does doesn't it I carry a little notebook around because. You'll be in a restaurant, you'll overhear people having a conversation. Um, like we were in a fast food restaurant at one point and we heard these people having this amazingly amusing conversation. Um, I think they were on a date or something and they were talking about their job prospects. And when people are on dates, they're the funniest people to listen to because they will talk about, well, you know, they, they try to distill their life down into a few minutes And so you get people saying, well, you know, I've never believed that it's government's role to tell people what they can and can't do with their lives. It's the kind of things that you would never say in normal conversation. But you find you want to write these things down and use them. Um, And occasionally you'll just see, wow, you know, that's a great sunrise. How would I describe that sunrise in a book? Um that person's got a great hat on how would I describe that hat what kind of person would wear that hat and I find you know part of that writing life is just that everything everything I experience kind of I see it as something I could put into a book or I try to figure out how I would write it to be able to tell someone else precisely what I'm experiencing at the moment whether that's something emotional and one of the things that I like to do is you know that try to replicate emotions, that feeling you get when, uh, you know, something happens.
2: Yeah. I do that more, at least personally, I I do that with visuals a lot, like things that I see, which is kind of ironic because I think so little of my writing is visually oriented, uh, and also on sort of internal observations on life and sort of turning that into, you know, like metaphors or, uh, you know references you can make for you know somebody's mental state in a certain situation, mm-hmm. whether to wry or com- comical effect.
1: And I think speaking of wry and comical effect, I think Douglas Adams was one of the great ones that put those emotional cues into his work. <laughs> and one of the ones that always sticks with me was um, when he talks about there's something that um, Arthur had done in one of the Hitchhiker's books that. Um, he was starting to realize was the wrong thing to have done. And Douglas Adams writes that uh, he basically says at one point in his early school years, he'd been playing soccer and he'd scored an own goal by mistake. And the feeling of all the students laughing at him and everything and the hot flush creeping up the back of his neck. And he said he had that same feeling now, the hot flush at the back of his neck. And it was just such a great metaphor because you knew immediately. You know what it's like to be yeah. to be playing a sport and and to do something just like that screwed up that you you know you scored against your own team. I mean, guys in Columbia get shot for that.
2: That's right. I re- I remember that happening.
1: Yeah. Um, of
2: course, I was just thinking about the scene where. Uh... I forget the name of the device, but it's the thing that's supposed to show you how insignificant you are. Oh, the Total Perspective the... Vortex. That's right. They, and then they stick Zaphon in it, and he comes out of it, and he's just beaming and glowing, of like just getting to see his own actual importance in the grand scheme of things. I thought that was great.
1: I was actually thinking that being in the Sofa Wolf inventory room was a little like being in the Total Perspective Vortex. <laughs>
2: <laughs> wow. Really? I, I've never actually been to their facility. So.
1: It's, uh, it's quite interesting. Um, the other thing for me about, about living as a writer is I think the big thing is, as you said, I'm always working on something. So free time is just time I can spend writing. And if I set myself goals, then I end up having to give up social obligations sometime to, uh, be able to fulfill the goals or I end up having to you know say okay well I'll, I'll go along but I have to take my notebook along so I can do some writing um, and it's actually you know I couldn't ask for a better partner in life than Kit because he's so accommodating to me getting my writing done and stories out and uh, it's just I, I imagine it's pretty hard to have someone be that uh, understanding of what I feel is a fairly significant neurosis <laughs>
2: I will say that it has been very awkward being in relationships with people who don't like to read, and who oh, I can don't imagine like to read my stuff. It's just sort of like, "Hey, this is like the one thing that I'm really, really passionate about, and you don't care." And that sort of that—that something like that should be a sign that perhaps not all the chemistry you need is there.
1: Which is interesting, and I'd I'd love to hear from some from some readers about any readers, any of our listeners who are writers and relationship they've been in and how the writing affected that relationship like if you're a writer if you consider yourself a writer have you been in a relationship with a non-reader or someone who didn't read your work and how and how did that work or can you just not imagine being in a relationship with someone who wouldn't read your your work
2: i'll say i don't recommend it
1: yeah <laughs> and uh and to that point uh, we'd had a number of people ask him when they were going to hear from Kit on the podcast. And I think I replied on the Live Journal that there was a very simple way for people to get to hear Kit on the podcast. And two people actually figured out what that way was. So the, uh, the first question is from Buck Wolf. He's a, uh, a friend of ours from Quebec. And he writes. Well, since there's only a simple way to do it, let's make it simple, Kit. I have a question for you. What is it like to live with an erotica fox writer? Do you feel like the writing process is almost like a third person in your relationship, or is it totally part of who you two are? And he says that's it for me, and I will let Kit give his answer to that.
0: Well, thank you, Kyle, um, and thanks, Buck for Wolf for asking. Um. I'm all nervous now,
2: I can see you rubbing your paws together in anxiety. <laughs>
0: um, writing is such a part of our relationship that I don't really think about it that much except for times when I want to clean the house and he's busy writing um, But at those times, I realize that it's kind of what he is and what he does and um and you just have to kind of respect each other for those aspects of your lives. Um, it's such a part of what he is and he gets such joy from it. And I get such joy from it just being able to read what he writes that, uh, you know, it just kind of, it just kind of, we make it work. It just happens.
1: I'd like to point out too, that, uh, Kid is currently wearing a property of Forrester U football shirt in support of out of position and the, uh, characters therein. Um,
0: but before you ask the second question, though, I do have to say I am, I am in a very, very unique and wonderful position, having the chance to read both of Kyle's and Cam Harasaki's work um, before it's sent out to the world in general, and um, it, it's it's really exciting, and I appreciate the fact that uh, that they allow me to do that.
1: Well, and I'll say we it's uh, it's not so much a question of allowing Kit to do that, but um, Kit actually gives really constructive and helpful feedback on all of our stories he does
2: he is and uh, that's a another thing that I uh, I think is an underrated skill that a lot of people don't should probably take into account of uh, you know when finding people to send their work to for critique learn who among the people you know is really good at it
1: yeah and that I mean that skill is just sort of understanding what makes up a story and um, elements of story structure and Kit and I have taking some writing classes together and some workshops together, but um, at the same time, you know, Kit, when I met him, already had a good grasp of what made a good story, and uh, that's, I think, one thing that uh, kept us together is we both had that same idea of what we wanted to see in stories. We liked many of the same movies, many of the same books, and so I kind of know when I give him something of mine to read that, He's reading it in the same context in which I wrote it, and usually his ideas are really improve the books. Are you ready for the second question? I'm ready. All right. So the second question is from Normain, and he writes, (laughs) Obviously, this is the way to get Kit on the podcast, right? Ask him a question. So he asks, Kit, do you do any writing yourself? If so, what do you write about? And also, what is your favorite written work of Kyle's and why?
0: Ooh, that's a tough question.
1: Which of our children do you love the most?
0: Um, Wow. <laughs> I'll answer the uh, second part of that question first. Um, I think the one I probably feel the closest to is probably out of position. A um, couple of reasons. One is, uh, you know, I had a a German Shepherd dog for 14 years, and he passed away a couple years ago. And when that happened, it kind of allowed us the opportunity to really get away from, you know, things for a while. So we actually took a three-week driving trip across the country, stopping with friends um, and family. And during that time, he actually was reading to me parts of the novel out loud while I was driving. Um, So I really got to know the characters, and I really enjoyed that a lot. Um, I think those two characters are probably closer to kind of a point where uh, Kyle and I are, are in our lives a little bit. Um, so we kind of related to them a bit more. So I would have to say that's probably my favorite. Although there's certainly been other stories that I've enjoyed sometimes because they're, well, super hot. And other times because they're, well, just super hot. <laughs> <laughs>
1: nice to know that I'm achieving my goals.
0: Um, but but yeah, that that'd be the the second part um the first question what was the first part of the question again
1: do you do any writing yourself and if so what do you write about
0: yeah and the first part of that question was what was that again
1: (laughs) (laughs) i i I
2: have seen you dabble mister i'm gonna call you out on this
0: i think k.m hirasaki has probably read k.m hirasaki and kyle have probably read the only story i've written in the last four years um i actually have written in the past um i've kind of gotten incorporated into corporate America so I don't write as much as I used to um, but I, I, it's something I hope to do at some point someday.
2: I think that what uh, Kyle was saying earlier about you having a natural grasp on you know what goes into a good story and you know how to the sort of you know critical improvement I think that writing and critique of writing go hand in hand so much that I don't think it's surprising that you'd be good at writing and like you said, you know that that one story that I have read, I actually thought was really good.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um,
2: I don't think it's but, one that we'd be able to sell to our listeners necessarily, but I thought it was a good story.
0: Oh, well, thank you. No, I, I, and it definitely, I enjoy, and, and I would recommend all you guys too, is just talking with a writer or talking with a person who appreciates a good story – Walking through it. I mean, one of the things I really enjoy with Kyle is that we'll leave a movie and there'll be that moment of silence as we try to digest what we just watched. But then we'll just be like a flood of like conversation around the movie. It's like, why was this character doing this? And what was the motivation? And what was the story arc? And, and what did this mean? and What did that mean? Um, and the same thing with Kay and you know, when we talk about stories, or we watch movies. It's just, you know, talk about the story structure, talk about what the characters are trying to achieve talk about why artists did these things, and it really grows the appreciation of the whole art, and um, that totally translates into the written story.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: You know, and actually, just real quick, I think it's interesting that you mentioned movies specifically in that case. And I think it one reason it's easier to spur conversation with that is when you go to see a movie with someone, you've seen it at the same time, and it's like in, in the same context, and you're coming out of it at the same time, and you're in the same place, or you're at that point where you can do that, with books and stories, it's a lot more difficult to sync up on that. And usually it's a, hey, I, wrote, I read this book. Let me let you borrow it and read it too and then get back to me. And then we can talk about what you think. And there's that disconnect. And so it's not as readily, you know, the, 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 the conversation about it isn't as readily uh, accessible.
1: I guess true. Although I will say Kit and I have read a couple of the same books this year and we've had some conversations about them. Um, and those have been, and those have been pretty good. The, um, the books, it's, it's just that there's more to it than a movie usually, because they're bigger. Um, and so I find that our conversations about books tend to span days and weeks rather than just hours and days like they usually do after a movie. Um.
0: Speaking of which, have you finished The Magician yet? Came here, I haven't even
2: started it yet. Because okay.
0: that's the last one that I read that yeah. uh, spurred a lot of conversation between uh, Kyle and I.
2: I know it's been going around uh, a bunch of my friends by this point, but uh, yeah, I was too busy not doing NaNoWriMo to <laughs> read. So Again, with the, the, the writing life, it's like, yeah, my writing life didn't let me write when that was writing month.
1: Yeah, but you were writing on other stuff. At the that's time. true.
2: And actually. Uh, I wanna say that I'm enthusiastic about uh how that or what that story will become. I finished the first draft of it. I know you've read it. Uh huh. I think it's probably far and away the weirdest thing I've ever written, and that includes the tentacle sex story I wrote.
1: And there's no tentacle sex in this one. <sighs>
2: no, there isn't, but there's stuff. There is sex. There, there is sex and a lot of other stuff which I'm sure means something. I probably need to read it myself again to figure out what the hell it all means.
1: It'd probably be interesting. I think. I'm not sure what you'd make of it.
2: I uh, I'm starting to develop ideas now that it's been a few days. It's uh, each day I think about it some more, and I have a better idea of what I think my brain was trying to tell me when I wrote it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm actually kind of excited because I finished drafts of. um Two stories that are slated to appear next year somewhere in various locations, not online. And uh draft of another story that I thought was going to appear online, but the two people who've read it so far, which, um, Kit and uh, Foosball, have basically told me, you need to write quite a bit more on it. So I might have to take that one back, but... Uh, that's
2: been sitting in my inbox, and I apologize for not having read that yet. That's
1: fine. I've been bombarding you with stories this past month, anyway. So, yeah. and you'll have another you have another one coming in. But, um, <sighs> but it does mean that I get to focus on just one writing project for like th- the next I, month. I, I think
2: you write like six stories for every one that I write.
1: Well, it's not an indication of quality, but. I just have to keep busy. I have too I would, many I ideas. Would, I would
2: dispute that. I think that you you have set a quality mark higher than I can reliably reach.
1: Well, thank you. I'm gonna yours are all pink and blushy and I'm gonna not respond to that. Okay. <laughs> Except to say I think we both keep trying to get better. I mean we both work really hard to experiment and push ourselves and I
2: I was certainly experimenting with what I wrote just now.
1: Well, and I think that ties into another thing about being a writer, which is that and we were talking about this a little earlier tonight with some of the other people in the group. Uh, one of the things that I admire about Stephen King is he never stops experimenting, never stops challenging himself and pushing himself. He released a series of stories just on audio that were never he didn't intend to ever release them in print. Of course, he did eventually. Um, he released the Green Mile in a series of six serialized books where he'd released the first before he'd finished writing the story. and That's
2: pretty ballsy. That's real ballsy.
1: I mean, the beginning of the story is like one of the f- uh. things I go back and edit the most. So he was basically setting it in stone and forcing himself to, you know, you got to be... You know, to make sure you've crafted a good beginning to your story, that's really uh, tough. And pe- and people ask why certain stuff of mine that used to be online isn't
2: online anymore. This is why.
1: Um, he also did one of the very early books that was released just as an ebook. It was called The Plant, and he had it available online, and people could pay for it or steal it i think it was just a download and then it was sort of honor system whether or not you were going to pay for it and he wrote about half of it and not enough people paid for it and he stopped i don't think it's ever come out in print
2: wow seriously
1: yeah i
2: hadn't heard about that that's kind of amazing
1: oh uh, i still have them or i used to have them on my computer somewhere but i paid for all of them um and he always does stuff like that and i think you know as much as i think his earlier books were a lot better than his later ones he knows a ton about writing and he Continues to to learn and try to push himself, and that's something that I think if you're a writer, you got to do because that's what that's what it's all about. It's just keep. I mean, actually, I think you should do that in any line of work. You should keep pushing yourself, but you know, don't just tell the same story over and over again.
2: Yeah, I think it's very telling that Dan it's Brown, every <laughs> writing class I've ever taken, and pretty much any book on the writing craft I've read, all of them mention Stephen King. It's just and I think that's just an indication of how just far reaching and just 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 how well he manages to just like quote unquote get so much of what goes into it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um and not to, you know spend too much time kneeling before him, but um he i think he's very much and this has been brought up in the past he's very much kind of like the charles dickens of our time um dickens was in his day sort of poo-pooed as a populist writer like he wrote stories that people enjoyed and wanted to read as opposed to trying to write real literature and stephen king's treated much the same way um dickens like king was a best-selling author in his time and we're still reading dickens stories you know, 100, 150 years later. Disney's still making movies out of them.
2: Yeah, it's... No, I hadn't thought of that.
1: And um, so I I just think it's interesting. I'm not sure that King's stories are as universal as Dickens, but on the other hand, you know, who really... Where do we really read stories about children, beggar children living in slums anymore?
2: Yeah, but I mean, you know, I bet you 100 years from now, when you go into a library for, you know, late 20th century writing, you'll still find him in there.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that's for sure. And hopefully you'll find you and me.
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, just thinking of like, hey, look, I found this copy of X. Oh, my God! (laughs) That's Fox people having sex right there. That's what that is.
1: Wow, that looks like the films my granddaddy used to like.
2: Actually, are there... Any foxes having sex in X? I'm going through uh, the stories in my head and I can't think of any.
1: No, not in the first one, not in the no. second one, not in that one.
2: There are foxes on the cover.
1: There are foxes on the cover. Um I don't think anyone I don't think anyone did a story with foxes. I don't, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna feel real bad when I leave someone out, but No,
2: I just went through all ten of them in my head and None of them, huh? Yeah. Not even me or you, which is surprising.
1: No, although there, I think there was a fox as a side character in one of your stories. I know there was a fox in mine, but they weren't...
2: In X, there were no foxes. Well, I know... Oh, in my X story, there were no foxes. Oh, okay. I'm pretty there, sure I had a... There was a husky, s- a ringtail, a wolf, a rabbit, a skunk, and a bat.
1: I'm pretty sure I had a fox in mine, although I don't remember it specifically, but I always kind of drop a fox into the stories at one point or another. But maybe
2: I didn't. There was a fennec in it.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. There was. All right. Well, there you have it. So.
2: Desert foxes are still foxes.
1: Yes, they are. With the big ears.
2: <laughs> uh, wish Don't my... get that
1: expression on your face when I talk about big fox ears. What? Just because you the, have the, little the, stubby the, otter the, ears. The
2: dreamy, wistful expression you mean?
1: Yes. Exactly. That one. Yeah. Save it for after the microphones are off.
2: Okay, I will. <laughs>
1: All right, well, hopefully that answered your question. Hopefully you all enjoyed hearing from Kit. Um, Kit also provides the alcoholic content of the podcast and all of the tech savvy that we uh, could not produce it without. Yes. And so... I
2: would raise my glass to him, but it's already empty.
1: um, Alas. Hopefully he enjoyed speaking on the podcast and we might hear from him in the future. Thank you for having me. (laughs) <laughs> and uh as always uh, so send us letters let us know how your nanorama went let us know how writing has affected your relationships if you have any of y'all if you have ugh, i'm not even the one that had any alcohol if any of y'all out there have really understanding partners or if you broke up over writing or anything like that uh unsheathed podcast at gmail.com or follow us on unsheathed at fa
2: now I want to write a story about somebody breaking up over writing.
1: That would be really meta.
2: Oh, I could totally do it too.
1: You could. There you go. Another idea.
2: It would be miserable.
1: And now when you see it online, all of you will know where it comes from. Um, and lastly, if you have any more ideas about holiday writing or questions about holiday writing or stories uh, that you particularly like about the holidays, send them in. We'll read them on our next regular episode.
2: Yep, yeah, which uh, we're still finagling the schedule, but should be in a couple of weeks, I think.
1: It'll leave be next week or the week after, depending on when uh, our next special episode is ready to be read.
2: I, th- I am confident that uh, at least the document on which it will be based will be ready on time.
1: I think we can manage it then. Yeah. All right, and we will leave you in suspense there. I am Kyle Gold.
2: I am still congested, Cam Hirosaki.
1: Amazing how that cold didn't clear up over half an hour.
2: Yeah, I know.
1: But we're wishing you a very good night.
2: And (laughs) happy...
1: And happy writing.
2: Happy writing.